you know I'm sitting here in my little recline in my little bedroom here. You know, just trying to relax a little bit, you know, before I get in the bed. I like to just sit here in the dark. You know, got my little window open. Not so much the window, but my shade open. I like to sit here in the dark with the light shining through. Kind of remind me when I was a little fella back down there in Louisiana. At nighttime, sometimes them little cool nights when we had them. I like to just get back there in the, in the back bedroom and I open up the curtains. And I sit back there by myself. And I just, you know, be figuring on things. You know, it's kind of funny how things that we did when we were little fellas, you know, we kind of do when we get old also. You know, and I know it's kind of redundant, you know, in my thinking and my figuring here lately, but I'm sitting up here thinking about this Black Lives Matter thing. And I've been, you know, I've been doing a little, you know, looking into them folks. And I'm wondering where all this money going to. You know, and I know I probably talked about this or touched on it on one of my other little pod talks. Because y'all know me, I like to follow the money. With the coronavirus or anything, I like to follow the money. I think you can get a lot of answers when you follow the money. But I'm looking at this Black Lives Matter thing, and I'm looking at something that probably had some really good intentions when it first started out. You know, because it's like... A lot of things when they start off, it starts off from the the grassroots level, and the grassroots level has got some really good intentions because it's something that's really mattered that's affecting something. But I see this thing here has been politicized, and it then got totally out of hand, and I'm just seeing so many people pandering to things. I'm just seeing how so many folks are just led with misinformation. You know, everybody want to be on the right side. I guess it goes back to what Richard Pye said when he was a youngster. I know I keep saying this. Richard Pye said he couldn't fight. So he said, whichever side was winning, that's my side. <laughs> See, like that's how it is today. You know, we own these teams. We take sides. And we're really not genuine about the size that we take. We just take those sides because they're popular at the time. Now, like I said before in a talk, or maybe it was one of my little rants, here it is 2020. And black folk doing the same thing that they did in the 60s and before. Long after that speech that Martin Luther King had, I have a dream. We didn't regress. Now, my thinking, my little figling here is why did we regress? Or how did we regress? How did we stop striving for something? You know, and I know, I know, I know, I know. I know welfare. I know redlining. I mean, I know a lot of things are put in the game. And like I say, folks can't deny, folks today may look back and say that, oh no, it wasn't nothing put in the game. But let me tell you, a whole lot was put into the game. But folks were still making progress. And now it seems like I say that the old folks fail these young black kids. Now see, I ain't got no kids, so these y'all kids I'm talking about. 
But I do have nephews and nieces, and my nephews and nieces doing pretty good because I talk to them. But I think the old folks kind of failed these kids because the old folks had kids, and then the old folks became grandparents to their kids, and then their kids are the ones that's out here right now. They just ain't got no direction. You know, and here's another thing too that I was uh that I was looking at doing a little research on the other day. You know, I kinda like y'all know me, I'm just sitting up here figuring things, so my head just jumping subjects. But when you talk about systemic uh racism, I ran across something that was very interesting back in the I think it was uh I wanna say eighteen it was it was uh it was before it was before the slaves was free. They were planning on freeing the slaves. I want to say around about 1861. 1861, because I think 1865 is when, per se, you know, the blacks got off the blacks got off the plantation. But around about, you know, if people don't look at their history, and when they talk about systemic racism never exists, and People always talk about affirmative action, how bad affirmative action was, because affirmative action was bad. You know, you're trying to get preferential treatment, you know, to black folks, you know, to try to make things even. But did y'all know back in 1861, it was something called the Morrill Act, M-O-R-A-L Act. And the Morrill Act was a systemic bill put into place that gave whites only, now whites only, Whites only grants that go to college for agriculture. Whites only. Now blacks, now they were going to free the, they, they had, now I'm going to tell you, everything is always planned. Don't think things just happen off the bat. They, they understood, what they understood, a lot of things that was understood back then with them folks. They understood that if you free, if these black folks, if they're allowed to leave these plantations, where they going to go? What they going to do? What kind of economic impact would, would that have? You wouldn't have anybody to work these, 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 uh, these, uh, these just, I'm just going to say plantation, but these agriculture, you know, these agriculture fields, you're not going to have anybody to work. If you just free, free the slaves right off the black back, you're not going to have anybody to work these agriculture fields because the whites didn't have experience. See, white folks ain't had no experience in agriculture doing what the black folks did because they just sit back and drunk iced tea and watch the black folks work. But when that labor force was about to leave, they grade, they gave out grants to white, to young white folks, free grants to go to college and learn agriculture. Because what they're planning was, was to replace, when the, when the blacks go free, would to replace that labor with, with whites, but the white kids ain't want to do that. The white kids, them young white kids, ain't want to go working in no fields and no agriculture. After they just sit back and grew up drinking iced tea and wearing and wearing clean white starch clothes, playing every day, watching slaves in the field work. You think they want to go do that kind of work? No, and it only makes sense. That's like today we have folks that don't want to do certain types of jobs because it, a lot of black folks today don't want they think they, they high and mighty don't want to do certain type of jobs, especially the kind of job that the Mexicans do, because we think that's beneath, beneath us, and we don't have no skills. Unskilled black folks don't want to do jobs. 
because they think it's beneath them, but they don't have no skills. But that's how it was back then. So they was given these grants. Now, now, I'm a, now when I say that this was a systemic thing, was they could have gave, they could offer that same grant to the blacks that were going to be freed. They could have offered those grants, or not so much offered the grant, but the money that they were going to invest in those grants. They were looking at, this is where 40 acres and a mule came from. They was looking at giving blacks 40 acres and they had a lot of mules that was left over from the Civil War. So they had all these mules and donkeys and stuff left over for the Civil War so they're figuring out what we what we going to do with them. So they say, if we, just let black, if we just let these black folks go free, what they going to do? They don't have any skills. Only skills that they have is agriculture. We're going to be lacking agriculture because our white kids don't want to go in no fields and work in no fields, no matter how many grants we offer them. So this is where the notion of 40 acres and a mule came from. Now, it wasn't something that was promised. This is something that they were thinking about. It was, legis- it was legislators that was thinking, you know, we just can't, you know, you just can't pop the switch and just let folks go. And, they, and where they going to go, what they going to do. So they was actually trying to plan something now to have some type of strategy or plan in place so when they release the slaves, the slaves can be productive in doing something instead of just, you know what, it's almost like, and I hate to say it like this here, but I'm going to give it to y'all like this. You know like when y'all got a dog that y'all want, a dog you don't want to take care of no more? And you put down, I know, like this I was when I was down south of Louisiana, you know, when you had old dog, old mangy dog, you ain't want to take care of no more. You put that dog in the car, and you drive that car, you drive that, that dog way, way off yonder somewhere. Way off yonder. And open that door and put that dog out. And that dog is on his own. You see what I'm saying? And then you drive way on back to where you're going, and that dog can't find himself back home. But that dog is out there now, he got to fend for himself. You ain't leaving no food out there for that dog. That's how it would have been if they would have just let blacks go free. Now, I hate to say it like that in the in sense of a dog, but I just want to give y'all the real live analogy. So they didn't want to do that. So they was thinking about, okay, well, we got all these donkeys left over from the Civil War. Why don't we give these black folks a donkey and we'll give them 40 acres and they can plow the land? Okay? But instead what they did was they didn't give the 40 acres and a mule. What they did was, this is where sharecropping came about. They said, okay, well, what, if we got this land here, right, these little white kids, they don't want to go to school. They don't want to take these free grants to work the land, right? They don't want to do that. See, they've been living high on the hog. You know, this is beneath them. So what we do is then we don't want to, we don't want to give them 40 acres and a mule, right? Because now that's ownership, so you can't give people ownership in something. You see? So what, but what we'll do is we'll keep our plantation and our, our agriculture, but what we'll do is we'll offer them a place to stay. So instead of we just we just taking them mangy dogs out and just letting them go free somewhere to make it on their own and maybe, and maybe not survive, they used to stand here on the plantation. They know the environment. They know the land. They know the soil. Why don't we offer them an opportunity to stay on the land but not be a slave but work the land as a sharecropper? Okay? Now, that was pretty much a smart move on their part because like I tell y'all, my Uncle Willie was a sharecropper. You know, I know this for a fact down in Louisiana. 
And Uncle Willie had plenty of money too. You see what I'm saying? But even as a little boy, you know, his parents were slaves and the same and land that his parents were slaves on, he was born on. And that when that white man died, that white man gave him a whole lot of land in his will. But Uncle Willie worked that land to the day that he died. But like I said, instead of when they freed them, instead of them going out being dispersed everywhere, they stayed on the land. They offered them, they offered them an opportunity to share crop. Now, share crop was kind of a smart idea. It was almost like one of them things that I read in the Bible one time. You know, they say in the, in the Bible, it got, I think it's Leviticus back there. They say how you want to trick somebody into staying your slave. Because like Jewish slaves back then, after seven years, I think you had to let them go. But in between that seven years, if you gave them a wife and that wife had kids, that wife and that kid belongs to you, right? But if you, but if you took somebody as your slave for seven years and you gave them a wife at the end of that seven years, you can let them go. But you didn't have to let the wife and the kid go. So how you would trick them is you would say, look, if you want to stay here, you have to be my slave permanently. Okay, if you don't want to stay here, be my slave permanently, you can go, but your wife and kids going to stay here. And if that person said, well, look, I love my wife and my kids. I'll stay here as a slave forever. And then the, Jew, the Jewish owner would take the slave to the doorway and drive an awning through the ear of that person. Like a ring in the ear of that person. And that person would be their property for life. Now, this is in the Bible. Now, I know y'all probably skipped over that. But this is in the Bible. So this is how sharecropping was. Share, sharecropping was, okay, you can stay here on this land. But see, but when the when the, but see all the tools and stuff that the blacks needed to farm the land with was owned by the white folks. So the white folks would say, look here. Since y'all don't have no tools, you know, we're gonna give y'all lodging. They're gonna charge y'all rent for the for the for the lodging. That same little shack that uh I was supplying y'all for free. Now y'all got to pay me to live there, okay? Now these tools here that I was I was letting y'all use for free to do my work, now y'all got to pay me a portion of some money for it, okay? These seeds, these seeds that I was giving y'all to plant for me, that y'all working for free, now you got to pay me something for it, okay? Now you need shovels or anything like that, right? I, I have a general store. I have an account, account at the general store. Anything y'all need throughout the, throughout the year until the harvest matures and cut and and, the, and then the crop is taken in until we can pay off the crop. Y'all go down to the general store and y'all and y'all sign y'all X, right? You sign your X down there and you and, and you and, and you get salt meat. You get salt meat. You get rice and you get flour. Okay. You get anything, everything that you need to sustain you for a year until that crop come in. Then when that crop come in, then we'll sell that, we'll sell that crop and we'll take everything that you owe us for the year off the top and we'll give you something a little what's left. Now, being a businessman, I thought it was kind of a brilliant idea. It's kind of a win-win. You know, hey, look, you now you're not a slave anymore. You're free. But now you're a slave you're a wage slave. See what I'm saying? You're a slave to wage and you're a slave to credit. But what else was the blacks was going to do at that time? 
but you had the small ones like my, 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 my Uncle Wooly and his family and some of the other black families down there that I know for sure that they kinfolks were share were sharecroppers. They owned the land. They did pretty good because they were self-sufficient. Now, farming is not a hard thing. Farming is not an easy thing. Because I watched Uncle Willie now. And I used to shuck corn, too. I used to get up in this big old barn and shuck. I hate that barn because he had uh, the snakes. You'd be crawling up in there because the snakes be chasing the, the, the rats into the, in, in, into the, in, into the, uh, in, 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 into the, in, into the weather. We, we had these, uh, we had this big, uh, corn, this big barn that had corn in it. And it was up on stilts, high up off the ground, because you had to. Because if you didn't put the corn up high off the ground, you would get snakes in it, you know, more snakes in it. Mostly you would get chickens trying to get in there, and you also get pigs trying to get in there. So you had, so you had to put the, the, uh, the way we had the corn, you had, to, you had to put the little barn, I'm going to call it the barn, but you had to put it up on stilts high. And we used to jump up in there and shut corn and throw the corn down for the chickens and the pigs to eat. So what I'm telling y'all is that, you know, this is, this is, you know, when you, when you, when you talk about stuff that's being systemic, that was something interesting that I came across. Y'all look it up for yourself. It's called a moral act, but I'm trying to correlate too many things here. Cause I went back into my past. I know I go back in my past. I get all thrown off. Cause I see myself right now when I was a little fella, when I used to crawl up in that, in, in that, in that big barn, I just crawl up and then I can see myself Shucking that corn, me and my cousin BB. I had two cousins BB. Two cousins named BB. Uh, City BB and Country BB. Country BB is he, he the one who stayed down there with my uncle Willie, who was a sharecropper, him and my cousin Rufus. We used to go down the country to see them. And I can see myself now, me and the two BBs, we up, we, we up there shucking that corn, throwing that, um, Throwing that corn down, them chickens and them pigs, they come running too. Them pigs come running too. I used to, them, I used to miss them pigs. Them pigs had them big old nuts. When they walk, them pigs had them big nuts hanging out the back of their butt when they walk. I used to throw rocks at them. <laughs> and Uncle Willie, Uncle Willie used to cook these hog cracklings. Every time he kill a pig, kill a pig, he skin a pig. He had this big black killer that he put that he put in the middle of the yard. And he'll fry hog cracklings. Put a little salt on them hog cracklings. Man, that stuff be so good. I'm telling you, that was good living down there. Now, I think about my Uncle Willie down there. Like I said, the sharecropping them. Him and my Aunt Tudor. That was good little. They were self-sufficient. I'm telling you. He had an old Ford truck. Three on the tree. I remember that green and white truck. Old Ford. Three on the tree. And he had, he had that old tractor. And he had that old, he had that old crazy horse. He had that old crazy horse that he used to plow with. But the only thing I hated about going down there when we used to go down there is that my Aunt Tilda, she cooked everything with that well water. Everything she cooked in that well water. I remember I used to go out to get and get, and get that dipper and with that string and lower and lower that bucket down there in, in, in the well and pull that water up. And she cooked everything. Cakes, everything tastes like well water. <laughs> but Aunt Tilda can cook though. She ain't Tilda can cook, but everything was fresh. Everything. And I think about that, you know, you know, some of, you know, satisfied folks, you know, I know farming is hard and we think that that's so backwards, but it's just a shame that, like, Uncle Willie and them kids, uh, Patu, Marvin, and uh, some of the two gals, three gals, they all just left that land. You know, when Uncle Willie and, and Aunt Tilda died, all that land down there, all that sharecropping land, because when you go outside the back door, ain't to them house, then you have a bathroom. I guess at the, at the end, 
last couple of years at the end, they got a bath in the inside bathroom. But they had our house. But if you go out and stand on the back garret, as far as you can see was Uncle Willie land. That white man gave him nothing but land. And at that time, before Uncle Willie died, he was planting uh, he was planting soybeans. And give, just give y'all a barometer of what year. This is what I'm talking. This probably around about 19, uh, probably around about 1970. 69, yeah, around about 69, 70, 71. Around right about that time is the year I'm talking about. But uh, Uncle Willie had good money. He had good money. He had, and everybody down there knew him down there too. Another thing I used to remember down there too is, uh, you know, like all the properties were spread out because it was big, big, it was big farm, big land. And I remember when we got on the road, we used to have to go to the road and like walk down to uh, Cutting Third Third Kill House. My Tilda used to always say, "Boy, y'all keep a shirt on." Cause you know you couldn't you couldn't have no shirt off you know walking down walking down them old two lane roads because them white boys see you down there they, them, them boys get on you they see you with no shirt on because they ain't want their little white young gals driving down through there and seeing no little black boy with his shirt off you know they ain't want that so you had to keep your shirt on I remember that vividly until you say boy keep your shirt on when y'all go down to part two house because we had to jump all these fences and then hit the road to walk down to cutting part two house. But uh, man, it was it was it was just good living down there, man. Man, it was just good living, man. If I can just tell y'all, and and I can remember in the winter time. Now, ain't tilling them house. Let me I'm gonna tell y'all about ain't tilling them house down the country. I'll go with them sharecroppers. I'm gonna tell you something about it, man. It was good living. Now we were we we was in Ellie, and they were in a place called Black Lake. You know, down that bucket. People been. From Louisiana, know where Bunky at, they know where Black Lake at, they know where Ellick at, they know where Cheneyville, they know where Lacan at. You know, they know all these little places that I'm talking about, so they know I ain't lying. You ever talk to anybody like that? But we go down to Black Lake, and uh, Uncle T and they had this big old lake on their property. You know, and we used to have to get out when we get to ain't to the no fence. Me and my brother Junior, we had to jump out to jump out the car. But Daddy pulled on the side of the road, we jump out the car, and they had these big old wooden gates. Big old wooden gates, and it had these like these big steel. Uh, well, no, the steel bars came later. They had just, they just had the big wooden fence gate. That we just have to unchain, and me and my brother Junior have to push that big old gate open for Daddy to drive his car in. And once Daddy drives his car in, we push that big old gate back, put that chain on it, and we hop on the back of the Daddy car on the trunk and he drive down the drive the long driveway to Uncle Willie and Uncle Willie in them house. Now later on they got rid of that gate and they got these big steel like tubes in the ground. You know, that's for, you know, the pigs or, or, or I mean pigs or or chickens or uh or, or, or your or your horse or your cow couldn't get out. Cause usually they had the gate, but they took the gates down, they put these big old bars down in the, in the ground so if your pig your chicken got caught in there they'll fall down in there you have to get go down there and, and get something to lift them up out of that but uh we used to drive that long driveway and then uncle william house it kind of sit up like on the hill so when we get out of the car we had to go to this wooden gate and we had to climb up the wooden gate to get to the house now when you drive down the driveway to uncle william house when the car facing front was was the two barns where had where they had one barn had hay in it and the other barn next to it had nothing nothing but ears of corn in it. That's where we shook the corn at. 
And then when you get out the car to your right, you had, you had, you had to go up this, this, this nice little hill and had this in front of Uncle Willie and them gate to the hill. It had these big wood, it had these big wood, um, uh, uh, it, it had, had a, what the, I don't want to say a placard. It had these wood, it had a big wood fence. Right, it was two big wood board. Yeah, two wood, two big wood boards, and you had to climb up them two wood boards to get up into the house because down there it floods a lot. So the house had to be sitting up high in in order not to flood. Because sometimes if you go down there, if it rained down there, Uncle William wouldn't be able to wouldn't be able to leave a house for a few days. You know, out the front. Now, the back can get out because the house was sitting up on the hill. He couldn't get out the front because all that would just be flooded. That's another reason why the barn was up high up on stilts. All that stuff would flood. So they couldn't, it was like in front of the house. It was like if you looked out in front of the house, it would be like oceanfront property because the land in front was low. Now, in back where the soybean fields was in back of the house, that land sit up high with the house. He can go out back and do what he got to do, but until the land, until the water subside, it be it be almost like beachfront property out there. But we used to get up there, and um, I remember in the wintertime. Now you walking into them house, you know they had the front living room. <laughs> they had brand new furniture, but it all had plastic on it. You couldn't sit there. <laughs> all kind of little whatnots and everything else in there, but you couldn't sit in there. That was like a showroom, you know. I never forget that it was like. White, brown, plaid, look, not plaid looking, but flowery looking furniture. It had plastic in it. It had a couch and a love seat. It had all these little wood knocks. And you couldn't sit in there. Walking there, you couldn't sit in there. <laughs> that was a showroom. Then to the right, you had a bedroom. Now, in the bedroom, you had two beds adjacent from each other. Each bed had one, two, three, four, had about five mattresses stacked up high. Each bed had five mattresses stacked up high, right? And and uh and that's what Cudney Lane and her daughter and Mumu and her mama slept. You know, my cousin Mumu. It was four of them slept. Two four girls slept in that room. It was it was uh it was it was a mom and a daughter, a mom and a daughter. They both the mom and the daughter each slept with their daughters on five mattresses stacked up high, and then. You come out their room and you go forward. That middle room there, that was Uncle Woolly's room. Now Uncle Woolly and my Aunt Tilda ain't sleep together. Now Uncle Woolly slept by himself. Uncle Woolly had about it was serious. I'm serious. He had five mattresses stacked up high. He slept on that, and Uncle Woolly slept with his wallet. <laughs> he was he was cheap boy. Uncle Woolly had number money. He used to sleep with his wallet un, un, <laughs> underneath his pillow, underneath his head. Because somebody wouldn't take take down his money. Now you go into you go into the back room. You go into the back room. It was five matches stacked up high. Now in that room, uh, uh, Rufus and BB slept. My cousin Rufus and BB slept. In that room, it had this big pot belly, like like a little stove in the middle, and had a long pipe coming up and then out. That was the only heat in the house. In the wintertime, everybody went back, back, back to that room and they sit around in that room. Next to that room was the kitchen. Now it had another bedroom, right? Another bedroom, and it had it had two beds adjacent from each other and five mattresses stacked up also. Now that's where my Aunt Tudor slept. 
Uncle Wooly White, man, he her. He used to call her Ugly. That was her name. Ugly! Come here, Ugly. That's what he called her. That was she slept in. And then if there was a guest, like, you know, if we if we went down there and we stayed all night, we would sleep in that other bed five mattress high. And they didn't have no bathroom. They had pee buckets. You know, you had pee buckets in there. Little white porcelain pee buckets. And I remember my job, even in Italy, you know, little fella, my job was to enter the pee buckets. So, in the country, it was BB job to enter, enter the pee buckets. But when I got down there, I had to empty all the pee buckets. Each room had a pee bucket. Right? Like I say, they had no bathroom in the inside. Now, later on, they got a bathroom, but they still ain't work right. Okay? Because Uncle Willie was cheap. You see what I'm saying? So, but let me tell you, in the, in the wintertime, it was so good because everybody went back to that back room back there. And Uncle Willie and Aunt Tilda, they would tell us stories. Now, my daddy, he was kind of quiet. He never said much. He just, he, he just sit there and he just listened. But it was just so amazing how all the family was together. They got good education down there. They, they got the best education they can. They learned, they, they learned how to read. They learned how to write. They learned how to think. See, y'all think a lot of things, these things with education, y'all put a little bit too much into it. Just my opinion. I think if you teach a kid how to read, you teach a kid how to write, and you think, and you teach a kid critical thinking how to think. And what farming do is, agriculture do is, it teaches you how to think. See, when, when you're down there on that farm, things are going to happen. It was, it was, it was like, uh, couldn't BB and Rufus, they were driving they were driving that 300 tree truck. You know, when they was like 10, 10, 11 years old, probably nine years old, they was driving the truck. I wasn't driving at that age, but I go down the country, I'm riding with Cousin Rufus and BB. They driving the old truck. They driving the tractor. You know, they, they know different plants out there. Don't eat that plant or don't do that or step over here. They know the land. See, they knew how to think back then. But see, we look at that as ignorant. We looked at that as ignorant because of the way they talk. You know, they talk ignorant. You know, little city five folks. Like I told you when I went to Michigan, little city five folks. But see, them folks that back down in the country, we learned how to think. Because you had to think. Besides, you had stuff out there that'll, that'll eat your tail up. They'll bite you too. You had snakes out there. You had, you had you know what all this stuff was out there. You had to live with your environment. You have to make sure if you go to sleep, you don't go to sleep on the ground. You see what I'm saying? That's another way out of the house was sitting up high too. Was you know we had pigs and chickens, and you, and you you know you had the house up there because you don't want that level. You don't want to fall asleep, and one of them pigs get hooked to you. See, you see what I'm saying? So there's a lot of things that you had to know, and you had to be thinking when you was growing up down south. See, so that back there in the country, BB them was they was way ahead of me on a whole lot of things. When I used to go down there, way ahead of me. But one thing that I always know about it, that they were so self-sufficient. They didn't have to go into town for nothing. But the only thing that they went into town for, and it was like once a month, they went they went for flour and they went for sugar. Aunt Tilda made all her cakes fresh. She had them tea cakes. Oh, her tea cakes were so good. She made them tea cakes, man. Oh, my Jimmy the Cricket. Them tea cakes were so good. 
She made everything fresh. They didn't have no Duncan Hines and all these boxes and cake mints. Made everything fresh. Like I say, the only thing about that down there back there was everything tastes like that well water. I bet I couldn't stand that well water. But, but ain't to always found a way to make it always taste good. And they had these deep freezers, even down, even in the city, in my grandma's house in Italy. They always had, family had these big deep freezers. Deep freezers just full of meat, full of food. They didn't have to go to the store every day for stuff at the store. They had deep freezers just full of food. They could feed the whole family. You know, they had, uh, uh, I can remember, uh, garbage cans, the steel garbage cans, because I'm going to start doing that here. At my house here too. Like my grandmother in Ellick, she had these big two steel garbage cans with these garbage steel garbage can lids on it. Matter of fact, I remember when I was married, I had these dang old raccoons. I had man, I had some bad raccoons. Them jokers, they were peeing all over my house, smell like house raccoons. Because uh, I told my wife, you know, I might have to do something about these dogs. My wife at the time, I'm gonna do something about these dang old raccoons. Every time I get out there, they just tear my garbage up. I mean, I had them plastic garbage cans, and even if I put a big brick on top of the lid, them dang old raccoons still get in. I used to think the raccoons would be watching me. I think they did, because the raccoons are smart. They watch it. So I said, okay. I went to home. I went to Home Depot, and because I remember, I remember how my growing up back down in Louisiana. I remember my, my grandmama had these uh, two steel, silver steel trash cans with the big steel lids on them. Right, and that's where they cook. One of them had rice in it, and the other one had flour in it. And you go down there to the house in the country, she had the same thing. You go over to ain't ain't out of May house, she had the same thing. You know, you go over to ain't Sue house, she had the same thing. Cause because they 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 stocked, they they bought everything by boat, and they put them in them steel trash cans because it wouldn't spoil. It wouldn't spoil, and rats couldn't get to them. You know, insects couldn't get to them as long as you kept that lid on there. So I said, okay. I thought about my little upgrade. I said, I'm gonna fix these doggone raccoons. Sure did. Went to Home Depot and got me two of those steel trash cans. Those metal trash cans. So I started putting my trash in it. Ain't had no problem with them raccoons no more. Cause, uh, cause, because when you put that lid on there, right, you put the lid on that big steel trash can, that bad, that bad boy on that tight. See, they can't get that off like they can't, they can't pop them plastic lids off them big 55 gallon trash cans. Not 55 gallon, but uh, what, what size gallon that was? It wasn't 55 gallon uh, metal cans I got. Was it 25? I think like 25 gallon the metal cans. But that's how I fixed them doggone raccoons. I started, and they also keep the smell down too. I just put bleach, like put bleach, put trash in there, then I put bleach over my trash and I put that can in there. The raccoons ain't like that. And that's how they stop peeing on my house when they start smelling that bleach. I guess they probably thought that bleach I thought that bleach was like another uh, insect or something like that. Because one guy told me, he said, you want to get rid of uh, raccoons around your house? You can go, it had this farmer, farmer store down here in Florida that they sell uh, wolf pee. Wolf or coyote pee. And you spray that wolf coyote pee around your house. It keep them raccoons away. But see, I, I, see, I'm from Louisiana. I got that metal trash can and put that bleach on that. That took care of them things. But... Like I'm telling y'all, back down in South, we were self-sufficient, you know, and you, and you didn't have all this news, this media, you know, I remember, uh, like I say, when they did get a TV, 
They only had maybe one or two t- stations, but they had a radio. That's right. They had a radio. They used to listen to the radio up in that, in that one room because Uncle Willie wouldn't buy no TV. They had a radio that they would listen to back then, and they would also tell stories. But see, the family was much closer back then. But see, but then things started changing. You know, like Uncle Marvin and Uncle Pop, and cousin, I mean, Cousin Marvin and Cousin Patu, which was Uncle Willie, two oldest boys. They got they got the big city lights in their eyes, and they moved to New Orleans. They just left that farm with the New Orleans. You know, they got wanted to get citified, and then when Rufus got a little older, Rufus left the farm. He wanted to get citified. You know, and the girls eventually left the farm. They wanted to get citified. All that land down there, they just left. They just abandoned that land. Still sitting down there in Louisiana and Black Lake. You know, I think my cousin BB still down there, but I don't think he's on that land. He's probably got some other land somewhere else around right up in that area. But they, they got satisfied. And people got to realize land is valuable. That's one of the most valuable commodities there is. And a lot of black folks, you know, especially during the Industrial Revolution when that came about, that's how you got so many black folks in California and Chicago and Michigan and, and, and Tennessee. You know, they just left the farm and they migrated to those areas because they wanted to get these industrial jobs. They got the farm. But see, but then what happened was they left the farm and went to all these old big cities like that. And because of because of uh, systemic stuff like redlining and all these other little things that was put in place, they couldn't expand, you know, when, when the suburb areas opened up or when property in other areas opened up, they couldn't expand because they was excluded from getting from buying homes in those areas. So what they started doing was not start doing, but what happened was. They would start being accumulated in, in these pockets of areas where they could afford to live. You know, in these big high-rise slum apartments and stuff like that. You know, they, they I, I, I say they start being shadowed like cattle. They start being put together like cattle. You know, we're not going to let them live in these areas. We're going to confine them, confine them to these areas right here. And we're going to charge them these, we're going to make it affordable for them. And we're going to also help subsidize them to keep them in these areas. You see, because after the Industrial Revolution, you know, like I said, blacks started moving north to get them jobs, but but they were also excluded where they can live at, at the same time. You know, but my thing of it is I always look at that. You left all that good farmland behind. And I can understand that, you know, you, you know, you've been on a farm, you know, you ain't got nothing. You know, things are hard down on the farm. You, you know, things ain't fair there, but now you have these Places like GM and Ford and these other uh, industrial big manufacturers open up, and you can go there and get a job, make a decent wager, and you know you're not, you know you're not you're not dealing with Jim Crow, you're not dealing with Jim Crow, you you're dealing with an invisible Jim Crow. See, now folks do think they think in the North, North wasn't racism. See, you had more hidden racism in the North than in the South. See, down in the South, you knew where a man stood. In the North, you ain't know where a man stood. You couldn't read his smile. He ain't like you, you know, but, you know, he need, he, he need you to do a job for him. So that's why I say, you know, I always like dealing with folks in the South because at least in the South, you know where a man stand. If he don't like you, he don't like you. But in the North, it's always hidden. Hidden racism in the North. More racism in the North than in the South. But that's the thing about it is that the value of the land, we left that land behind. And like I say, I can understand it. I can understand 
why we did it. But I'm thinking now, man, like and even like even like down in Bunker, Louisiana, you know, my folks still got laying down there, just laying, just sitting, just sitting, ain't doing nothing. Taxes low on it. So I've been figuring on some figuring on some two things here lately. But like y'all, like I tell y'all, and I be figuring on things. I don't tell nobody my plan. <laughs> I may tell you something, but I ain't telling you my plan. <laughs> like I say, black folks talk too much. You know that's why you you can't do anything or uh, you can't band together or implement anything. And I think all this started because I was talking about them Black Lives Matter folks. You know, I said something very interesting in a little talk that I did. You know, to myself. You know, when I was talking about that one rapper boy who got killed. You know, and I was looking, looking, looking at his uh, his mama on YouTube. His mama, I, was, I don't want to use the word ignorant, but, you know, that boy, you know, that boy didn't have a fair shot when he was growing up. <laughs> That's all I'm just saying, he have a fair shot. If he, grew up, if he grew up in a household with that woman and 10 other kids, that boy didn't have a fair shot. You know, he just, he's just a product of, product where he came from. But looking at some of them other kids there in Chicago, and some of these other places too. And I'm looking at if these Black Lives Matter, all this money that they've been getting donated to from these corporations and athletes and all this kind of stuff. What they doing with the money? I told y'all what they doing with the money. They hiring lawyers. They hiring lawyers. They traveling to different events, playing for hotels and paying for speakers and. If Black Lives Matter, why ain't you protesting when these young black boys out here killing each other? Now, this one sportscaster guy, you know, I really, really don't care too much for him. But I kind of admire him because he kind of speaks his mind. And he will, he did have his one little sports show, but I guess they kicked him off his own sports show. So now I see he's on YouTube now. Where he got his own show, in which I like that, because he can say what he want to say. You know, he's not he's not mute. Every time you say something about about um, about an athlete or something, you know, he disagreed with the other guys on it. You know, everybody called him a coon. You know, that's what they call you. You know, you know when you don't when you don't go by the black agenda, they call you a coon. Like a lot of times, they call me a coon. They'll call it to my face, but they call me a coon. And even if they do stare to my face, they don't don't make no don't make no matter. You know, it's, I think it's freedom of speech. You know, your freedom of speech ends at my nose. Meaning that you can say whatever you want to say as long as you don't touch my nose. <laughs> so, because if you touch my nose, I'm calling the police. <laughs> sure is, I love the police. I'm calling the police, fire charges against you, and I'm suing you in civil court. <laughs> you know what I want to tell people? When you get old, you don't get mad when you get old. You get a lawyer. <laughs> so when you get mad, y'all want to fight. When y'all get mad, y'all want to fight. I'm going to kick his butt. No, son, when you get old, you get a lawyer. <laughs> On speed dial. That's right. 1-800-MORGAN-MORGAN. <laughs> but uh, these Black Lives Matter folks, if Black Lives Matter, what y'all doing all these millions of dollars y'all collecting from, from, from strong-arming people, making people feel guilty? And then watching a football game, you know, this, uh, this white announcer who I like, he up there crying. Oh, Black Lives Matter. He, all the racist injustice going on to black people. Oh, come on, man. Come on. Stop it. See, I get on board 
when Black Lives Matter get all this money, like I tell you, I follow the money. I ain't into all that emotional stuff and John Pete got shot because, you know, my thing of it is, what you doing out in the street? What you doing out in the street late at night? Why the police pulling you over? Why you, why you get, I know you can go wherever you want to go, but what you, what you out there doing? And why you got a problem when this man pull you over? Why you got to say something slick out your mouth? If you know that things ain't fair, then you keep your mouth shut. Your object is to go home. But see, but when you're out there and your mind ain't right, you know, when things go sideways, then what happens? It happens. Because I tell y'all, these, these, these police officers, man, they dealing with some stuff these days. They dealing with some stuff that Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter don't want to deal with. The police dealing with out here in the street with these these, these, these little young fellas just shooting, killing each other. The police got to go deal with all that. And then when they get there, they tell them, we don't talk to the police. What you call us for? That's the dumbest thing I heard in my life. What you, what you call us for? We don't talk to the police. What you call us for? Oh, police don't care nothing about us. They don't patrol them. Wait a minute. When we, when we do come in and knock on your door and actually didn't see anything, you act like, what, what, that, what was that movie, Bird Box? Where people had to get laid on the eye, walk, walk down the street and ride in a lake in a canoe with their eyes closed. You act like Bird Box. Huh? So I don't, I don't get it. I, you know what? Y'all know I just get off on it. You know, y'all just, just follow me wherever, wherever I go. I was watching 48 Hours, and I usually don't like watching 48 Hours. I don't like putting that negative stuff in my head. But I was doing a little research. I was watching 48 Hours one time, and uh, it had this, it, in, I don't know what the city was, but it had this black boy. He was terrorizing, <laughs> he, he was terrorizing the apartment complex. I mean, he was terrorizing. He was shooting people, robbing drug dealers, beating gals, raping gals. He was a terror. And the people were scared of him. He, in broad daylight, he'll shoot somebody. Kind of remind me of this YouTube video. I see I get all off track. I, I like this YouTube video. Got this little short little movie, short little film in Detroit about this uh, this guy called Six Minutes. <laughs> I didn't watch that thing all the way time. Six Minutes, he'll rob you. He'll rob you in less than six minutes. <laughs> he robbed his friends. He robbed everybody. And, that, and that's, how, that's how this little fellow was in this little city, in this little um, projects area. He robbed everybody. He was a menace, right? Kill people, shoot people, and everybody oh, talk about how bad he was, how they were scared of him. So what do you think happened to him? One night, he ran up onto the wrong person, right? He ran up onto the wrong person, and that person shot him, killed him. Now, everybody was talking about how good this boy was when the police trying to come and investigate. Nobody talked to the police. Now y'all scared of this boy. This be terrorizing your neighborhood, but you won't talk to the police about what this boy doing in broad daylight, killing people. And y'all see it, but you won't talk to the police. But now the boy get killed. The police investigating. The people talking about all oh, the police. They don't care nothing about us. So and so he was a good. That boy wasn't no dang old good kid. He was a menace. It's a darn shame. You get ignorant, ignorant, ignorant people talking about how good he was. Oh, he was a good kid. You know, he was, the kid was a menace. And you talking about the police, they only come around here. They don't help us. 
Are you people fool? Are you stupid? This is that ignorant stuff. Now look, I'm not the brightest in the bunch. But it's just so ignorant to me when I see people talk about how good a kid was who was a dang old menace. He wasn't no good. He was a drug dealing, raping, rapping, bad boy. And he got just what he deserved. If the police didn't kill him, I, if, 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 I guess if another, another fella wouldn't have killed him, the police would have eventually killed him. But see, if the police would have killed him, it would have been a whole uptick in the neighborhood because the police shot this no good rascal. But see, another fella shot this no good rascal, everybody ain't say nothing about it. But they still put it on the police but not solving the mirror. But nobody talked to him. I don't know what the police want from y'all. I really don't know what the police want from y'all. Oh, we didn't got that ignorant. That ignorant. First person you call when something happens to the police. The police go, we don't talk to the police. Let me tell you something like this here. That's why I remember when I was riding Detroit. I tell my partner, I pull up, I pull over, see, I pull you over, say, look, man, you got something in your, you, you got a gun or you got dope on you, something like that. If we get pulled over by police, I'm telling on you. I'm not going to jail for nobody. You call me snitch all you want it. We'll deal with that. Now, I'm not no bad person, but we'll deal with that. You, I get pulled over, I tell them, you got something on your mouth, because what, 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 what fellas will do, they don't care nothing about you. You get pulled over by the police, now they stuffing that gun and they stuffing that dope in, in your seat. And you driving, it's your car, you will get hit for it. But I tell her off the bat, I'm telling on you. I'm telling. This fool here got a gun and he got, he got drugs on him. I picked him up. Now that's his stuff. You won't eat. See, my hand, my fingerprints on nothing. I'm telling on you. If you do something, I'm a coward. If you, do, if you do something, don't do nothing around me. Please, don't do nothing around me, ignorant. Because the police don't talk to you. I'm telling the police. I'm telling. Because I don't want nobody ignorant around me. Because whatever you do ignorant to somebody else, you'll do it to me. I don't want nobody around me. That's why I go to work every day and come home with my own business. You call me a snitch, I'm telling the police, if I see something, if you, if you shoot somebody or you hurt somebody and I see it, I'm telling on you. And we can do whatever you want to do later. Like I say, I, I got a lawyer on speed dial. <laughs> I got a lawyer on speed dial. And you, and, and, and you know they love hey, uh, locking black folks up, so if you, if you assault me, you know you're going to jail and you're going to get sued. <laughs> Hey, when you, when you get old, you don't get mad. You get a lawyer. But what I'm saying is, it's just ignorant. What I'm saying is just so ignorant. It doesn't make sense. Now, look. Hey, look. I know police supposed to be hired at a different standard. But come on, Black Lives Matter, y'all out there. Too many blacks are killing each other. And I know you say, well, if you look at the ratio, the whites to black, ah, forget all that crap. Take some of that Black Lives money and stop marching with it and go into some of these inner city communities and use some of that money, if Black Lives really matter, to save our youth, the youngsters. Matter of fact, I was looking at Shark Tank uh, yesterday and it had these two young gals on it. They was really pretty. But they, they was pitching this new learning technology 
I, I, I can't really articulate it. It's not like coding, but it's a new engineering technology that they was trying to get implemented like into a trade type of school for ages, I think like five through 18, where they can learn these different computerized engineering programs. And actually, I actually thought about, I said, man, that'd be something good for me to take because I want to learn uh, computer program, pro programming and some engineering, some, some engineering stuff in that, in that field. And I was thinking to myself, and they was looking for like $150,000 funding for like 10%. But it, would, but it, it but this is this is something, especially with this coronavirus thing going on, what these girls are proposing is actually going to change the way learning is done. Teaching is done, rather, I should say. Teaching is done. It's going to change the game. Because I think everything is going to move far, going to move a little away from all that reading and writing and, and American history and all that stuff. It's going more. It's going to be. It's going to move more to some tech, tech, technology base. So them girls are on the cutting edge of. I'm surprised Mark Cuban didn't pick it up. But the girls, I think the girls went with Lori. Lori seen something. I'm surprised Mark didn't pick it up. But. Lori seen some. No, Mark did bid on it, but Lori picked it up. And that's not technology and teaching. That's not something. Lori good for like QVC. So like that, but it's something that she saw in it. And Lori's very smart. So it's something in this technology that these girls got as far as the future of learning is a game changer. And I seen it because I even first thing came to my man and said, man, I need to learn, start learning that. Then I said, you know, my little niece, you know, maybe I get my little niece and my little nephew. I would pay for them to go to school to learn that, you know, if it was in Michigan or some area like that. But I'm thinking to myself, why don't Black Lives Matter invest in something like that? You, you, them girls only asking for hundred, a hundred and fifty thousand dollars for ten percent. If Black Lives Matter got all this million dollars, if you want to help these inner city kids, you, 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 you could open up a program, different buildings in different communities with programs like that in it to help teach these young kids technology. Cause like I told you, if I had my own town, my own town would be a technology town. I would have them gals. I would have them gals. I would have their program in my town. Don't come to my town talking about learning no history. I ain't studying about no history. I ain't studying about history. Okay? I'm not studying about history. You, you want to learn history? Let your mom and your dad teach you history. Let them teach you history. Go on Google. Let Google teach you history. When you come to my class in, in my town in Martinsville, when you come to Martinsville, right? You come to Martinsville, all of our school system, we learning what them girls teaching. We learning technology. We learn how to computer code. We learn engineering. You know, we learning. We learning. Uh, we learning how to hack. You know, we learn everything North Korea. <laughs> we learn everything North Korea, Korea teaching their kids for technology wise, and China teaching their kids. That's what we learn in Martinsville. You want to learn? You you want you want to learn your ABCs? You gonna learn your ABCs when you when you get into coding. You are gonna learn math when you when you when you get into coding. You are gonna learn math when you get into engineering. You are gonna learn this stuff as you go. And another thing we gonna do in Martinsville, we 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 gonna look at our kids and see what our kids are interested in. That's good. I thought I heard something outside. I didn't want to get my gun, but we gonna take our kids. And we're going to see what our kids are interested in. Because see, all kids are interested in the same thing. You know, we, we may have some kids in Martinville that may be good artists. So we're we going we, we, we to look at building something around them. So 
it's going to be specialty. You're going to learn engineering. You're going to love. You're going to learn technology. But also, it's going to be special interest programs too. This is what this is what teaching should be. Teaching should not be taking taking no kids in those go classroom, sitting all of them in the classroom, teaching them all the same thing at one time. Half of them bored, half of them sleep, half of them slow in learning because they slow in learning, not because they're dumb, they're slow in learning because they're not interested in those systems. It doesn't spark them inside their brain. Now, I'm saying all this, but I'm saying this is what Black Lives Matter, if Black Lives Matter, start with the youth. Start with the youth. You want to change things? Start with the youth. You can't, you can't start with no person 16, 17 years old that's in these bad neighborhoods. They're already gone. They're mentally gone. The only, only place for them if they don't change their ways is, is the penitentiary or dead. But you can start with the youth and getting these, putting these training programs in these areas with some of that millions of dollars you're getting if black lives really matter. That's when black lives matter, when you start taking that money in education fund. Not taking that money paying lawyers and want to protest and buy signs. With our, come on, man. Black lives don't matter. But like I say, what you're looking at, you're looking at a different black lives matter. You're not looking at a grassroots black lives matter. You know, from a big organization standpoint, like I call it, not organization. Organization to me stands for uh, 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 organism. To me, organized organism. Organism is big. It's big. That's what organization is. Organism. You know, and I'm saying organism in a biological way. You see, but. That what I was just figuring. I was in the. I know I went all off from every country and all that kind of stuff. Y'all know I just be running my mouth. There's it's a lot. There's a lot of things out here. You know, it's just it just bothers me. It just bothers me. It don't bother me that much, but it do bother me. Just how ignorant this country, how divided, how divided it became. It's just, you know, my thing over here, me and you, we used to have to say when, when down south that my grandmother used to say, she said cousins, cousins don't fight cousins. She said, but if cousin fights cousins, cousins don't fight cousins in front of other folks. You see, cousins don't fight cousins in front of other folks. If you two cousins going to fight, y'all go in the backyard and fight. But when y'all come back here in this front yard, if anybody mess with y'all, right, y'all get them. Y'all get them together. Y'all get them. And then after y'all run them on off, y'all can go back in the backyard and cousins can fight cousins again. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Y'all got to understand that we all we all live in this country. We all live in America. The racists, the separatists, the Christian, the Jew, the black, the white, the Puerto Rican, the Chinese. If you live in this country, you live in this country. Much as you hate it, Donald Trump is your president. Our president. Just like Obama was our president. Bush was our president. When you tear your whole your own household down in front of other folks, 
who who is that benefiting? Is that benefiting you in your country? And the other folks I'm talking about is is China and Europe and and all these other countries looking looking at the United States. How we talking about our own president in front of them? Are y'all stupid? The Bible tell y'all for you Bible folks out there, a house divided by itself can't stand. And we tearing our own country down from the inside. Ain't nobody dropped no bomb on this country. They better not. We'll tear their tail up. I know that for a fact. We'll tear their tail up, drop a bomb on this country. You see what happened in Iraq and the whole Middle East? <laughs> but they sitting back and watching us eat ourselves. And we letting them. We talk about our president like a dog. Like a dog. We talk about our own president. Let me tell you something. I don't care what my difference is with George Bush. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm, I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't care what my difference is with Trump. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk bad about Trump in front of China or Russia. Y'all get my point? China and Russia don't. Don't. They don't take care of me. I don't live. I don't live in their country. I live in the United States. Now all y'all sleep good at night. You know why you sleep good at night? Ain't no bombs dropping on your head in America, is it? You sleep good at night because what? Because you got a, you got a military with guns. You got a strong defense. You sleep good at night. You can run around here and you can protest and you can do whatever you want to do. Spit on the police and all that stuff. Because what? You got a strong defense. You living in this country. You can't tear your country down in front of other folks. I'd be got doggone if I'm be inside my house here, if I had a wife in here. I'd be doggone if I'm going to go outside my house and talk about my wife like a dog in front of other folks. I would not do it. If me and my wife has to have some differences, I'm going to talk about inside our house like a dog. <laughs> I'm talking about between me and her. I'm talking about her like, she, me and her like a dog. We got some differences. When we go outside the house, we 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 together, and see that what this internet didn't allow people to do. You you we you, you tear this country down. Who want to open up a business in this country when somebody gonna loot it and rob it? Look at California. They might just take California and just throw California off into the ocean. That place is ruined. Between the homeless, the businesses leaving, wealthy people leaving. Is a mess. Politicians pandering, destroying the helping destroy the country, the country, taking our own country down. I get so tired. I get so tired. Slavery this. Oh, slavery this. Police abuse this. Inequality this. Black people ain't got no, black people. Black people got money. Black people got wealth. It doesn't stay in the black community because it moves out. Say something about. I'm, I'm gonna do a pod talk on how many black millionaires there is. Oprah ain't put her money in the black community, is she? Oprah over there in Africa. <laughs> huh? Who putting their money in the black community? All these. 
all these black actors and athletes will get on TV crying like they care about Black Lives Matter and the police shooting. Where they putting their money at? Is they putting their money to the community that they came from? Is they calling them, they calling them, uh, them two gals that was on Shark Tank and saying, hey, look, I like what you're doing. I want to open up a program like that in such and such community. Is they doing that? Is they taking some of their money and going back to places like Buffalo and Detroit and buying and buying up land, tearing houses, tearing structures down and just buying the land? Is they doing that? Huh? You got $485 million? What the hell are you doing with it? You buying Gucci? You buying, you, you buying $1.2 million car? Something, 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 something that's devalued? What you doing with it? You buying this big old, uh, uh, what, 32,000 square foot? What the hell are you doing with a 32 square foot house? What are you doing with it? It's only you and your wife? And your homeboys and your mom probably on the other side. What are you doing with it? I was watching this place on on, on 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 TV with this guy I like. You know, he bought it, you know, he got them three sons to play basketball. Like I say, I don't like saying people's names on my pod talk. This house, he was showing off his house in LA. This big old house. It's just him and his wife. I guess his sons, two, three sons when they come on and 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 they and they and they freeloading friends. This big, this big old, what are you doing with something that big? What is that? But yeah, your son who can't play basketball, who only in the lead because of propaganda, because you could, your mouth got him in the lead, can't play, he makes a rap song about police violence. What do you know about police violence? He's been sheltered all his life. What, what do he know about this? And you live in this big old luxury and all that kind of stuff. What are you doing for the, for the community? What are you doing for the, for, the, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the black lives in those communities? Have you contacted those, those two girls, the two girls that technology program and saying, hey, look, our family is, is going is, is, is gonna, is, is gonna, is, 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 uh, is, is, is going to back, is going to back you, going to give you $150,000 just to set up, to set up one of, one of your educational programs in such a community. Have anybody, come, have you know, you got this big old house and, oh, yeah, I can just kick back, look, yeah, I'm kick back. But then when, 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 a, when some, when a police shooting crop up, then you want to jump your butt up and you want to, you want to get with the program, you want to, Right, make a rap song about it. You want to talk about police shooting and political abuse? You from Compton? You you from California? You you know how many blacks kill blacks? What are you What are you doing for that area? See, that what I'm saying. You stop talking about that. Man, look, man, look, man. I know I said. I know I keep saying this. There is enough wealth and opportunity in this country. To scoot around these things. Okay, redlining. Man, the hell with redlining. I don't need to live there. I'm gonna put my look, let me tell you something. I hate saying names. This basketball player, he puts together a, a conglomerate to buy to buy the Brooklyn Dodgers. He puts together a conglomerate. This other black basketball player is talking about putting together a conglomerate to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves basketball team. Cause that white man say, man, forget this, man. I ain't doing all this crap. Hey, 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 hey you want to buy it? I say it to you. You get what I'm saying? These blacks with money who talk all this crap, they can put these conglomerates together 
and they can buy stuff like a sports team. They can't put money together, conglomerate together, to go get them two calves and say, hey, look, we're going to give you $150,000 if you can set up one of your educational technology programs in this community, and we're gonna have, and these little black kids here, they can go to your school, your, your school for free. Or they can put together a conglomerate and go back to some of these uh, desolate communities and look at these communities and say, hey, look, we're going we, we gonna, we gonna, we gonna to give X amount of dollars for a bulldozer to come in and just, we want to buy this land. And we're going to take a bulldozer and we're going to clear it out. We're going to clear all of these old buildings out and just land in there. It's our land. They can't put together a conglomerate for something like that. So you knock them buildings down and just keep that clean land there. If it's just going to be worth something because it's going to be a value for something at some point. Plus, it keeps the community clean. They can't put they, they can't put something like that together. We don't have that many black athletes and business people that can do stuff like this here. We got to keep hollering about redlining. We got to keep hollering about we don't we don't have adequate housing. Well, we don't have we don't have folks that can put money together. We don't we don't have black millionaires and billionaires. One rapper boy, they say he worth almost a billion dollars. What are you doing with the money? I looked at his house. It's only him and his well, wife divorced him. Nine, taking the two kids. Well, him and his wife, two kids. This big old massive. How the hell you live in something like that? How the hell you live in something like that? 32,000 square feet of wood. How you live in something like that? All the money you pay to upkeep something like that. And you hollering about Black Lives Matter? What do you do with your money? Oh, these, even these little rappers. Hey, they ain't got no money. But you see them on the video with all this money stacked up, stacked up to their ear like, like they talking to somebody. What do you do with the money? You could take stacks of that money and go back to your community in Chicago and tear, and tear down some houses and just buy the land and keep the land. That helps keep the neighborhood clean. You can't take some of that money and go to them gals and say, hey, look, we want to get one of the technology programs in Chicago in this community for these little young kids to go to, to learn about com uh, computer programming and technology and engineering at a young age, get hooked on this stuff. You mean there ain't enough black business millionaires to put something like that together? But we can put a conglomerate together to go buy the Minnesota Timberwolves. We could put a conglomerate together and go buy the Brooklyn Dodgers. You see what I'm saying? We raise money for everything but the stuff that we cry about. Hmm? Everything but we cry about. Man, yeah. look, no, they look, look, I can be totally wrong. And I might be totally wrong. But I'm just telling you what I see. You know, yes, yeah, systemic stuff exists. There's ways around everything. Man, I, I ain't never, you know, I ain't never, I, I have never heard the Mexicans. I've never heard the Mexican crying about, crying about anything. I don't hear about, about uh, systemic racism or injustice. I don't hear about, the, I, don't hear the, I, don't, I don't hear the Mexican complaining about anything. Trump was talking about Building the wall, you heard more from white people and black people in opposition to building the wall than the Mexicans. 
Mexican Mexicans ain't one saying that. You know why? Because they know he ain't building a wall, and they know even if he do build a wall, we going under it. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? The Mexicans were smart. They even knew that. Mexican one went around protesting Trump building no wall. We could we'll go under the wall. We don't need help. We don't need. We we got highways under the <laughs> We got highways on the ground right now. They can not about no wall being built. They ain't crying about that. They, they know what they're going to do. They organize. They're not bringing no attention to themselves. But see, we bring attention to ourselves. We ain't organized. <laughs> you know the wet mixes out there protesting? Man, they keep their mouth shut, go out and take care of their business. Like right here where I'm at. I'll ride down the street. There's one area I ain't been to in a while. And the whole side of town, they got little Mexican restaurants. The whole, and that's where the Mexican bus, I call it the Mexican bus, but there's a bus over there that brings brings these uh, Mexicans in and out of town, I guess, you know. But that's their little area. But they got restaurants and little stores and Washington, everything set up in that little area now. And it be packed. It be jammed. Packed the cars. The Mexicans be in there. They support their restaurant. They support their businesses. They support their stores. They be in there. That's their own little side of town right there. And it's nice and clean and, and they keep it up. Now the blacks were in this town way before the Mexicans got here. And go on the black side of town. You ride through the black side of town over there. It, it hasn't changed. The Negroes still at the car wash. Them niggas bro, still out there trying to wash a car. Them niggas still sitting out there. Them Negroes still sitting out there on a the bucket in front of the store trying to sell a CD. <laughs> Them fools still across the street underneath the tree playing dominoes. Since 2009, I got in this city. The black area looks the same. Nothing changed. No new businesses came in. It's the same. But the Mexicans, you go, you 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 keep on down forty, going into uh, seventy five, I seventy five, and right there, the Mexicans they got their own restaurant, they got their, all their little stuff, all their little stuff, all laid out there. I say, look at this, and the black area looked the same, and they still doing the same thing. But it's the white man fault, right? It's the white man fault. It ain't the black people fault. It's the white man fault. And you know another thing, I'm gonna let y'all go in a minute. Another thing I've been seeing here too, and I see they open up one over here. You know, almost close to my side of town, they open up these little these little gambling spots now. I don't know what they do in these places. I don't know if it's slot machines in there or horse races, but they open up these gambling little spots now, and they open them up on the black on the black side of town over there. See, black people they just waste all their money gambling. And I'll pat my nails. I saw little ladies out there in the wheelchairs in front of this little gambling place. I don't know what these little places are. I don't know what they do. I don't know what they're doing in there. But I see, like I say, I see over here at, next to my cigar spot in the plaza, they open one up. And I'm seeing black folks in there. I'm not seeing white folks in there. I'm seeing black folks in there. All sitting out there, take 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 they taking their little social security money, a little welfare money, whatever it is, going in there, playing whatever inside that little building. 
And I know the building is owned by Indian people because I remember on early part of this COVID thing when everything was closed up, I remember going over there to my little cigar place and I saw these Indian people, you know, like spray painting the glass in the front, putting up. I'm like, what kind of business they opening up? But I see what they opening up. They opening up a little one of them little gambling places. And I don't know if they legal or illegal. I don't know what they're going to try to find out what they is. But I see they opening up one over here. And then on the other side, the black side of town, they opened open up a few of them. So they getting all that little money. So evidently, again, we spend our money gambling and, and our little last little money gambling and trying to get lucky. And how we spend our money. And I'm going to do a little talk on that too because I was listening to, I was reading some on thing, some things on equality and how different races of people spend their money. And we have, black folks have no economical sense at all. Gambling is not a way for you to, <laughs> for you to build long-term wealth. It's not. It's a fool's game. Fool's game, and it ain't set up for you to win. It's set up to give you the illusion that you're going to win, but it's not set up for you to win. But I'm seeing these little places starting to open up on the black side of town, different little areas now. And people in that game will get them their money. But I guess that's the way it is. But look here. You know, now that I think about this thing, you know, especially when I talk think about education, you know my Uncle Wooly, my Uncle Wooly, Never went to school. He never was a learned man. You know, it's just dawned on me. Never went to school. Couldn't read and couldn't write. But you know what? A hooligan can count money. I got thinking about this when I started about, the, you know, when I said that in Martinsville, you know, we ain't teaching all that traditional stuff they're doing today. Because, like I said, they're going to get everything they need in their curriculum with the programs that we're going to teach them. You don't know the advanced programs that we're going to teach them. You see what I'm saying? Because in Martinsville, the family, the family going to play a role in teaching their kids basic reading at home. You know, it's, it's like it's like my little my, my little grandbaby. You know, my little grandbaby, she started, she started, her, her mama started teaching her how to read in the womb. She was reading that little gal in the room, in the womb. And when she came out, she started teaching that little gal her mouth, started teaching that little gal how to read. When she went to school, when that little, when my little great, when my little grandbaby started going to school, she already had the foundation right there because her mama took the time out to teach her them things. And my ex-wife, she did the same thing with her gal. She had three girls. And because I saw the pictures, you know, her and her ex-husband, they had them little gals when they was in their little pampers sitting at a little desk with books and pencils when they was little babies. They took emphasis in their in they, in they, in they, in they children. I seen that person. I was like, "Look at this! These little pictures. Look at these, look at these little gals and they little pampers on, and they sitting there at their little desk like they in the school. Them, they start the parents take interest. But I was thinking about Uncle Willie. I said, "Man, Uncle Willie ain't Uncle Willie was a very uneducated man by our standards. But see, but I look at it like this here. See, we say Uncle Willie, you know, he he couldn't read, he couldn't write, you know, he was uneducated." Right, say, but Uncle Willie can count money, and I bet you, I bet you, if you got into Uncle Willie's environment, you couldn't, you couldn't hang. See, with all your book reading and how smart you and stuff like that, that works good for your environment. You see what I'm saying? Now you take you and put you in Uncle Willie environment out there on that farm where 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 you had you had to notice you had to know what what was good soil or what was bad soil. If a plow broke down or a tractor broke down, you had to, you had to know how to fix that stuff. 
You couldn't call John Deere in to fix that and give him money to pay it for. You had to fix that stuff. You ain't know nothing about hunting if you got to go look for your food. You ain't know nothing about different type of animals out there that you got to watch out for. Animals that you can eat, animals that you can't eat, animals that will eat you. You ain't know nothing about them cows, them pigs, them hogs. You ain't know nothing about, you know, looking up at the sky and seeing that it's going to rain, that I, I got you know, to get these chickens in the coop because it looks like rain is coming. So you don't know nothing about that. So you call people like Uncle Willie, well, we would call people like Uncle Willie, they uneducated. They, un, they, they, they unlearned. But see what I'm saying? But in their environment, they ain't. See, you just as stupid and, and, and ignorant in their environment. You unlearn. They're like you watch people on naked and afraid. They got their own naked and afraid. They can't do nothing. They were talking about, you know, I have a, I have a background in personal training. I have a uh, personal uh, background in organics, on food growth. All these little specialties people come into naked and afraid on, and they get out there with nothing, and they, they, they don't even know what to eat. They be starving, bumps all over, they don't know what to do. But in a nice sanitized environment, they can tell you all the organics, food that you can eat, and all this other pretty stuff, how to physically work out, how to keep your body optimized, and all this stuff. But they get out there with nothing, they can't survive. Now what an ignorant. See, so we look at educational things, I think, in a total different sense here. It's according to what type of environment that you put in. Now, to sustain life, which, which, which environment is more organic and more healthy to sustain life? The way Uncle, Uncle Willie and them live. No, he couldn't sit down with no book and read you no pretty words. No, he couldn't, he couldn't sit down there and do algebra and geometry and send a man to the moon or work a cell phone. And we, I didn't know what no cell phone was back then. But I tell you what Uncle Willie can do. Uncle Willie can feed you with some good food. I bet you had food every day. Okay, be, I bet if you need to go somewhere, you can get, you get in that four truck with that three on the tree and get to where you got to go. I bet you ain't nobody bother you. You had everything, they had everything they need. And he can, like I say, he can count his money. You couldn't cheat him out no money. He slept with his wallet in back, uh, in, uh, in back of his head. You tell my brother talking, he tell you. They was laughing, Uncle Willie. Uncle Willie was cheap. Wouldn't give you a dollar. Wouldn't give you a dime. But he, but he tell you, you want something to eat, you can go in there and get something to eat. He'll feed you all day, but he ain't gonna give you no money. But he can count his money. I don't care if it was hundreds, two, three hundred thousand. Uncle Willie had a black wallet. That thing, a bill, we didn't call them wallets. Down south, we call them billfolds. His billfold was thick. It was thick, just full of money. Couldn't cheat him out no money. And he knew what he owed people. He, he, he didn't write it down. He knew in his head what he owed people. Y'all see what I'm saying? So when you call, when you, so when we look at education, you got to look at the type of education and what environment that you're going to be in with your education. Because Uncle Willie will be done by your standards and your Silicon Valley standards and your school standards. Well, he'll be smart today with, with the schools today because the schools, they teach the kids anything anyway. They teach kids how to go through uh, radar detectors to check and see if they got guns and knives on them and sit in their classroom on their cell phones. That's all school teaching them today. I talked to my, well, one of my cigar buddies, he's a teacher. I was asking them in, in class, because I think he teaches like third grade or something. And I said, hey, man, in class, do they let the kids have phones? He said, well, he said in third grade, you know, in elementary, they let you have phones, but the kids have to lock their phones up in their desk. They got to keep them in the desk. They can have them out. He said, but high school is, is wide open. High school, they can have their cell phones wide open in high school on the desk. Now, that don't make no sense to me. A cell phone knows a whole lot more than a teacher do. So why have these kids sitting up, sitting up in a classroom with their cell phones trying to listen to a teacher where they, in, in two minutes, two seconds, they get the answer on what the teacher's talking about? That teacher may tell me you pay a teacher for nothing. 
When they get to high school, what you pay a teacher for when they can have their cell phones open and they're on Facebooks and all that kind of stuff? Nah. So what you teaching them? You teaching them nothing. Cell phone and Google teaching them. You don't need no teachers. But it goes back to what I'm talking about, my, the environment that you're in is what your education level is. Now, like I say again, another thing I was thinking about was, you know, I, and I know I'm jumping subjects, but I was thinking about, you know, I'm thinking about maybe buying me a car. And I'm sitting up here thinking in my head, I don't want no new car because I don't want all them car payments. And like I tell y'all, y'all do by listening to other podcasts, you don't even own nothing. I like to pay cash for my car. But I like to do a little figuring in my head sometime, right? And I was looking at this one thing on Car Guru. It was saying about, you know, you have those uh, calculators, car calculators on there, right? No, no, no. It doesn't have the car calculators on there. But I was reading this one thing on there, and it said, you know, financing available. And, and when it gave you the calculation on it, it said this is what your payment will be, you know, plus interest, plus, you know, plus tax title, registration tax title, interest. This, this is what your monthly payment payment would be, $199. Now, I got to thinking about that. I say if you finance a car, now, look, now, I'm not the brightest chip in the, in the world, right? I'm not the brightest. I just ask a lot of questions. But I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, this is a good little scam here. And this is why I say it's a scam. Now, say a car costs $8,000, okay, and say taxes, registration, and all the fees come up to 7% interest, come up to something like mm, $420, $420 for taxes, interest, and fees, right? Now, you're going to finance this vehicle, so now you're going to finance, so when they go finance that vehicle, they're going to finance that vehicle for what? They're going to finance that vehicle for $800, something dollars they're going to finance that vehicle for. They're going to come back and tell you that, hey, here's a payment here. I got a payment for you for $162 for five years on this, on, on this car, okay? And you look at the payment, you say, well, it's only $167. That's a pretty good deal. So you sign your name to that, right? Now, this is where they get you that I'm trying to figure out. And somebody had to explain this to me. Now, I'm thinking to myself, over a five-year period of time, you paying interest on that $820. Oh, no, what was that? $700? Uh, I think it's $420. Whatever the, whatever the, if the tax, let me, let me, let me rekindle here because my mind is all off. You know, y'all know I'm not that smart. Now, if the car was $8,000 and say 7%, 7% of, uh, sales tax on it. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, this is what it was. Let me, let me rekindle. Say the car was $8,000. Okay. To buy the car out the door, say your little city has 7% interest. Okay, the taxes. Okay, the 7% taxes, seven, uh, 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 7 and 8, that's $560. Okay, $560 taxes you got to pay on that vehicle. Now, the, the, the title, registration, and the other stuff they want to charge you for, so, so, so the government can get their money so you can ride on the road in their car. Just say that comes out to another, mm, if you don't have your own license plate, say that comes out to another, say $250, okay? So right now, we, so right now say, say, say we're looking at $800, $800 on top of, top of the $8,000 that they want to sell you the car for. So to pull that car off that car lot, okay? Just say you're going to need $8,800 to pull that car off the car lot. So now they're going to go and you say, well, I want to just go and finance it because I got good credit, okay? So say they finance that car for 800, uh, 
Yeah, yeah, for $8,800, they financed that car for. Then they finance it for six years because you won't extend your payments out as long as you can. You can pay the car off early, but you want the least amount of payments. So even though you can you, you take 48 months and pay, pay a higher car note, why do that when you can save your money? So you take the 60 months on the car for $8,800, okay? Like I said, because you can pay it off anytime you want to. So now they come back to you with a car payment of $160. But here's the kicker. You just financed that car for $8,800. 800 of those dollars was taxes, uh, 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 title, switching the title on, the registration, all the other stuff that they charge you for. So on the course of five years, you're going to be paying, you're going to be paying a car note, a note, a portion of your car note is going to be paid for that $880. Is that eight hundred? That I mean, I mean, eight hundred. That eight hundred dollars. That eight hundred dollars is not a one-time fee. It would be a one-time fee if you told the folks, you say, "Look, okay, I want to finance this this eight thousand dollars, right? That's all I want to finance." Okay, the title, the registration, and taxes. Okay, I'll pay cash. I'll pay out my pocket for that. You just finance eight thousand dollars. Now that wouldn't be bad. But where they get y'all at, they get y'all, they finance the, 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 the car and the taxes, the taxes, the title, all the registry, all that crap. That $800, they finance that within your note. So for five years, you'll be paying on that $800. Now, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But this is my figure. Because I sit back and watch that thing. And then I, say, I go listen to it. I remember, you know, being in front of some salesmen sometimes, a couple cars that I bought. And I was thinking that, but I never, I never said anything back because I ain't have my figuring right. But he's ended up talking about Uncle Woolley and education. It just came to me. Say, man, you know what? That is, that is a fact. Over the course of your loan, you paying on the taxes that you just paid for that car. You paying on the taxes for the next five years along with that car because they roll that taxes registration title. They rolled all that into your financing. That's why they say out the door with uh, taxes, finance out the door. We, we can get the, we, you can find this vehicle for eighty eight hundred dollars out the door. I mean, yeah, for eighty eight hundred dollars out the door. That that that, that includes taxes, registration, everything. You say, well, that's a good deal because no money coming out your pocket. Your eyes light up because no money coming out your pocket. But what it is is they 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 they, they just now they got they got that eight hundred dollars up front. Now every year they making money. Off that $800, you paying interest, some, some, some type of interest or payment on that $800 for the next five years. Now, that's some crazy stuff to me. 